0: Well, that psalm is about uh, walk by faith, and that's exactly what we're talking about today. What I want to talk to you about today is walk by faith, and thank you for coming today. Man, what a great crowd for Labor Day weekend, right? Give yourself a wow. Like, I looked up. You came to church. It's a holiday weekend. Americans don't go to church on holidays. All right. (laughs) I don't know what you're doing, okay, uh, but uh, my name's Pastor Josh, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about is walking by faith, in this world, a lifestyle of faith, that's the topic, how to cultivate a lifestyle of faith, and where I'm at, I'm using, and I'm modeling our Pew Bibles, uh, don't hit anybody over the head over it with it, but you can use this, but we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3, which in my Pew Bible is page 528, all right, it's pretty neat, and uh, Proverbs chapter 3, and we'll be starting in verse 5. So while you're kind of getting adjusted, I'm going to pray to God and just ask that he helps me and us uh, uh, hear from him. So let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for this day. And, um, and God, oftentimes, um, sometimes the messenger can get in the way of the message, but I certainly hope that that doesn't happen today. God, I know I've experienced in my life a day of walking by faith, and I've also experienced um, those days when I walk only by my own sight, and I know the difference. And so, God, I just pray you'd help me cultivate a lifestyle of faith, that you would help all of us as a church uh, do the same, and maybe if somebody's here who doesn't have faith at all, that you would give them the beautiful gift and a wonderful large measure of faith in your goodness and your leadership. I just thank you for that, and I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today we're looking at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Topic is lifestyle of faith. How do you cultivate it? In this passage, in Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5, tells us, so let me go ahead and read it. It's a great passage, wonderful passage, and it goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones." Now, clearly, you can see from these verses that we're talking about faith. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Verse 6, acknowledge God in all your ways. Verse 7, fear the Lord. We people from Oklahoma love to say that. You got to fear God, right? That's faith turning away from evil. So all of, the, all of these things point to this is a passage about Faith. We could even define faith off, to, off these terms, that faith is finding God trustworthy. Uh, faith is acknowledging God in every way, in, in all things. Everything, every time he says something, if he reveals something about a certain way, we should acknowledge him. Faith is believing his word and acting on it. So that's what faith is. And then faith is fearing the Lord but it's very clear, the beauty of this passage, kind of the, 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 the awesomeness of this passage is that it tells us how to cultivate a lifestyle of faith, a daily walking in faith. It tells us how to cultivate faith from day to day, from moment to moment. It's a very practical passage on how to cultivate faith. And I think it's so awesome and so comprehensive is this passage that even if you're an unbeliever, it can help you begin a life of faith. But if you're a believer, like the disciples were when they said, I believe, help my unbelief, this is a great antidote to doubt. It's a great antidote to fear. It's a great antidote to spiritual insecurity and to begin to walk in a lifestyle of faith and how important it is. It's very important that we cultivate a lifestyle of faith. And why is cultivating a lifestyle of faith so important? Because life is scary, right? I mean, I am so embarrassed from time to time at how inadequate I am sometimes for life. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe some of you that like that right now. You don't have to raise your hands. We don't do that here. But you get to those moments in life where you're like, something's going on It's bigger than me. I need something outside of myself, resources I don't have, I really need right now. I've got four daughters, man. It is a daily thing for me, right, that I need, I need God in my life. Um, Some people even say that the whole reason why I believe in God is because God is a crutch. And I would say, yes and amen. God is very much a crutch in my life. I need God. When I'm really honest, outside of my arrogant moments, when I'm feeling very tall and like big stuff, God always reminds me that in reality I'm very small. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament said, when I'm weak, I am strong, because what he was saying there is, when I acknowledge I'm weak, I become strong, because then I begin to look up, and I begin to walk by faith, and not by sight. And so this passage tells us uh, about how to cultivate something we really need, a lifestyle of faith. And so there's a few ways how to cultivate that from this passage. Let me give them to you. Number one, how do I cultivate a lifestyle of faith? Number one, don't lean on your own understanding. It's very clear. This is what it says. Let me read it to you again. Look at verse 5. Such an awesome, simple verse. Brevity is the uh, soul of wit, somebody said. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Many of you right now, you're going through something in your life and you're leaning on your own understanding. And your own understanding about anything you're dealing with right now is inadequate to give you proper wisdom and understanding about what's really going on. And the Proverbs is a a book of wisdom that says, don't lean on your own understanding because it's inadequate. Now, it's not saying, I want you to hear this. Everybody look up here. It's not saying that your mind or that your own understanding is bad. It's not saying check your brain at the door of the church. It's not expressing some form of Christian spirituality which looks at people and says, don't think, just believe. That's not what it's saying. I just heard recently about a college that has professors. It's a Bible college. And these professors do not encourage rightly answering or asking questions of objection uh, that that these professors kind of teach in such a way to where there it is believe it and don't ask any questions don't raise any objections to the faith that's not what that's saying in fact I've always said that you can't get answers from God until you start asking questions right and how many of us have have owned an authentic faith because we've asked the difficult questions and then we've got the joy of being released into the answers that God gives to us. So he's not telling us to be mindless, spiritual zombies. Walking around, brainless, idiots. Okay? That's not what this is. It And let me tell you something. There are some forms of Christianity that are like that. They're just a bunch of zombies. You go to their churches, and they're zombies. And they will eat your flesh. <laughs> right? They're just like, Jesus. You know, and you're like, good grief, where am I right now? Okay? He's clearly not saying that. What he's saying is don't lean. Everybody say lean. lean. Don't lean on your own understanding. It's, it's like, what do you think of when you think of leaning? You think of maybe a, a crutch or a walker. Some of you, when you came up into this church here at Cross Point, we've got those handrails for people who have a difficulty walking and they, they use that handrail to kind of get up and they can come into our church and they lean against those handrails. Uh, we think of a crutch or, or something like that. And so what he's saying is, don't don't let your understanding about life and, and reality be the final crutch in your life. What he's saying is don't, don't let your understanding become an idol or some kind of God. Don't, don't pretend to think that, that rationally you are the final authority on what is to be said about any given topic. Your mind is given by God. It's a created mind. You're created in the image of God, but you're very limited. Even if we didn't have original sin, our brains would be three and a half pounds. Amen. That is not enough to deal with the realities of life. That is not enough to deal with both physical and invisible realities that you and I encounter every single day. If you think about it, he is saying, don't make your mind a God. Or maybe even more personally, don't you pretend that you are God. You're not omniscient. You're not all-knowing. It's kind of like what God said to Job. Where were you when I formed the fist? Where were you when I created man? Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? You were only in my mind. Don't lean on your own understanding because your understanding is inadequate to be a God. Your brain is a wonderful servant, but it's a bad master. When you add sin, when you add original sin and our fallenness that we're born in, and you add the fact that the Bible says that our minds are actually hostile towards God, When you add the fact that we're so twisted that somebody once said that there's no logic to the human mind. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Who can understand the logic of human beings? Some of you all are here right now and you got people in your life, you love them and you hate them all at the same time because they're illogical because we're not God and in fact we're, we're broken and we can't lean on our own understanding if you want to walk in a lifestyle of faith you can't lean on your own understanding as the final authority <laughs> I love what he says the same writer says in Proverbs chapter 30 verses 1 and 2 it's a great passage the man declares I am weary O God I am weary O God and worn out Surely I am too stupid to be a man. Don't you love it when God's Bible just comes and just says it like it is? We are, we have definite profound moments of stupidity. My mama reminded me of that frequently. She was German, Lutheran. She believed in what Luther said about the human condition. She she just said to me, don't be stupid. And I would be like, sometimes I'd be like, now, Mom, you know you're not supposed to call your kids stupid anymore. She said, well, if it's good enough for the book of Proverbs, it's good enough for me. But there's these moments, and and, and again, what he's saying is he's saying, I am not thinking like a man should think. I'm not thinking like a human being should think. That the problem with our condition is not that we're too human. It's that we're not human enough. Our understanding is twisted and fickle. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't make it a God. And so there's a few things. Let me give you just a few practical ways to not lean on your own understanding, okay? All R words to make it really easy. Number one. Reflect. Write that down. Reflect. We are the only creatures on earth and in the universe, barring some kind of UFO and alien that I don't know about. We are the only creatures in all of the universe that are able to think about our thinking. Psychologists call it self awareness. We're the only ones who can think, and while we're thinking, we can think about our thinking. In fact, some of you don't know this, but when I'm preaching and talking to you like I am right now, I'm thinking about my preaching. Sometimes I even pray for myself while I'm preaching, right? I'll be preaching. I'll be like, oh, Lord, I am losing them fast. Help me, Lord Jesus. I'm falling down the steps, Lord. You know what I mean? While I'm saying to you, believe in the Lord. You know what I mean? You can reflect about your reflection. You can think about your thinking. As we talked about last week, doubt your doubts. Become a self critic, a constructive critic of yourself and the way you're thinking, and be able to keep into the check. There's a great verse, in fact, I'll quote it in our, our uh, spiritual war series. I'm coming up here in a couple of weeks, up in arms, spiritual war, it's gonna be great. But in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's reflection a form of Christian meditation is what it is all religions have some form of meditation usually it's to get away from physical realities or to find our inner child or or to find some kind of sense of invisible reality but Christian meditation is thinking about the reality of how we're thinking and to evaluate it and to reflect and to be reflective and to say you know I'm probably not thinking about this right your thoughts your first ideas about any given topic usually the first draft is usually wrong right it's like writing a paper for college you know and you write the paper out the first time and you think it's great you think you're mozart that you got it perfect the first time around and then you begin to read it and you go wow this needs revision this needs editing this needs to be critiqued this needs to be changed and you begin to take stuff out and edit it, it happens with my sermons all the time in fact sometimes i don't edit enough but you have to reflect and edit and revise your thought because you're not perfect. You're, In fact, indeed, you're, you're sinful. And as you reflect, you take every thought captive and you say, am I thinking about this right? Am I thinking about her right? Am I thinking about him right? Am I thinking about how to handle this situation right? Because I'm pretty sure that my first reaction, my knee-jerk reaction is probably not the right one. I've got to reflect here and hold myself in to check. Reflection. Reflection. Don't lean on your own understanding by reflecting. The second thing is reconcile your mind to God. That's key. Because if your mind is not God and if you are not God, then there is a God and you're not Him. And what needs to happen with your own understanding is that it it gets brought under the authority of God so that it can be all that it was meant to be. Reconcile it to God. Much of the Christian gospel Is about the reconciliation of our minds to God. Look at this great passage from the New Testament in the book of Colossians chapter 1 as it describes why Jesus died on the cross and what he accomplished in his atonement, his death, his resurrection. It says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 21, And you once were alienated... I almost called you aliens. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That literally the whole Christian worldview and gospel is that when Jesus absorbed our sins on the cross, what he was doing was reconciling our mind to God so that we could actually be connected with God in our mind. And once our mind comes under God and is reconciled to God, we'll no longer do evil deeds out of stupid thinking but we'll gain wisdom and derive life from him, and in that reconciliation, we'll begin to walk by faith. Reflect, reconcile, and then finally renew. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. <laughs> Once we reconcile the God in our mind, then we can fill it up with God's truth. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Yeah, that's it. That's the lifestyle of being a Christian. That's the lifestyle of faith. I am walking as a person who is a, a, a person uh, whose life is a, is an act of worship to God. My maker, my creator, my redeemer, my savior. And now I'm bringing my mind after reflecting and reconciling. I'm now renewing it according to his word. And my mind as opposed to being a God and an idol in my life is becoming a temple by which God's truth is pumped in there. And there it is. It's a temple full of the light of God's truth and full of the light of God's scripture and full of God's wisdom and leadership by his Holy Spirit. I am renewed, and I'm beginning to understand what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect, and I'm walking in his plan for my life. Do not lean on your own understanding. Instead, reflect, reconcile, renew your mind, and let God be a central part of your life. But if we go back, it leads us very logically, and this is very connected, isn't it? Because once we kind of get our thought life under the captivity of Christ and God and it's being led by God, it's very natural that God would suddenly not only lead us to not lean on our own understanding, but secondly, we would begin to acknowledge God in all our ways. You say, how do I cultivate a lifestyle of faith? I acknowledge God in all my ways look at verse 6 again he says here in all your ways not some not a little of your ways but all your ways acknowledge him and then note the practical thing see and he will make straight your path so we've gone from this intellectual world to this very practical almost utilitarian world this world of paths and 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 ways and And stuff like that. So, a lifestyle of faith is is being able to not compartmentalize God in some of our ways of our life, not regulating God like culture tries to do, or uh, or uh, uh, or relegating God to some corner. But in fact, in all of our ways, acknowledge Him. And the promise, the awesome promise, is that He will make straight your path. That if you acknowledge God, it's a promise. Now, is God trustworthy? I believe he is, and God keeps his promises, and God promises as we acknowledge him in all our ways, he will make straight our paths. Now, it's very important, Americans, Americans, listen to me, Americans, he doesn't say he's going to make all your paths smooth, amen? This is not about Cadillacs and big houses, right? That's not straight paths. He's talking about he'll make straight your paths. In other words, you will find your purpose in this world. Your limited time on earth will begin to be guided by purpose, whatever that might be, and you will go on the straight path. However, you have got to acknowledge God in all your ways. You've got to acknowledge God in all your ways. He goes on to say later on uh, in Proverbs chapter 14, Verses 12 through 13, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end uh, may be grief. He says again, as one more example, Proverbs 16, verses 2 and 3, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. Like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I don't need no God. I'm good. I got this thing going on. Look at my nice path. Look at the way I'm going. All the ways are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit are things the Lord knows that we don't. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Commit your work. Commit your past. Commit your practical ways to life. And all of them, acknowledge God in everything that you're doing. In all things, acknowledge God. Now, because I knew this would be a lull in the message, right, I anticipated that by this time in the message, I'd be losing you a little bit. So I brought a bag, and in this bag are all my ways. <laughs> all right? Now, now think about it. If this bag had all your ways in it, I mean, you could pull out any of your ways out, anything you do, you could pull out. Would you be able to say that everything you pulled out of your bag of ways, you're acknowledging God right now? And if you could say, no, well, there's, there's, actually, there's actually a couple of ways I'm not acknowledging God right now then can you repent and get to a place to where you can acknowledge God in all your ways? All right, now, let me share with you some of all of my ways. Not that it's about me. Don't write me emails, but you know what I'm saying. All right, now, all my ways practically definitely includes my family, right? Everybody say, aw, oh, he is so handsome, what you say, right? No, but and if you're new here, I have four daughters, so I always get cheap laughter out of the estrogen jokes. But anyways, there's Sherry and the A-team, Abigail, Ashley, Allison, and Audrey, the A-team, right? And uh, God calls me. I, listen, could I love these girls without God in my life? You bet. Do parents love their children who don't know God? You bet. Of course, of course. However... I am called by God to acknowledge God in all my ways, and I am called to acknowledge God in my girl's life. You know how I acknowledge God in my kids' lives? I acknowledge that they belong more to God than they belong to me. Did you know that? Do you know the Bible says that I am just a steward of part of their life? One day they will leave and cleave uh, to some jerk, all right? (laughs) And they will marry some guy that is not worthy All right? And I'm going to have to try to figure out a way to get along with this guy. You know what I mean? But I'm going to have to acknowledge God and say, God, I acknowledge you. I will let my child go. And you have to acknowledge God with your children too. You can't hang on too tightly. You can't have a tight grip. You can't make them idols or gods in your life. You can't become overly protective. You've got to acknowledge that your job is to help them to get out, not to stay in, to learn what life is all about. And then in my marriage, I am to regularly acknowledge how hot my wife is. Right? Because if I'm going to acknowledge God, he tells me to tell my wife, like in Song of Solomon, you are hot, baby. That's what Song of Solomon says. And she's beautiful, and she's awesome. And I am, as a husband, to love her as Christ loved the church and to die for her. I am to acknowledge God in my marriage. All right? What are some of my other ways? What are some of my other ways? Well, I have this is one volume of the works of Jonathan Edwards. All right? That's a preacher thing. All right? This is my wallet. I am to acknowledge God in all my ways, which includes my finances, my money, my perspective about money. God says you can't serve both the wallet and God. You can't serve both money and God. That money is a good servant, but it's a bad master. And I am to put all of my envy and greed and my need for stuff and jealousy about them having a nice car. And me, actually, I've got a Toyota Corolla. It's pretty sweet. I feel like I'm in a... It was a handshaker. It's pretty sweet. But anyways, uh, but you see, I am to acknowledge God and I am to be a good steward of the resources and to acknowledge that every amount of money I have belongs to him and to acknowledge that God doesn't want me in the bondage of debt, that God wants me to, to eliminate. Concentration comes through elimination. So if I need to eliminate things out of my life so that I can get a control and so that money won't rule my life and, and be the ultimate leader and God of my life, you see, you got to acknowledge God. In all your ways, right? Now, here, I did bring this, all right? Oh! Bam! Now, if I thought we were all athletic, i hit this out there to you. I would. Right? But even in recreation, I mean, I'm to acknowledge God even in my recreation and, and to thank God that he gives me the opportunity to play tennis with my girls. And when I, I'm on my second serve, right? And I'm feeling like Andre Agassi, right? Right? And, and, and I go up and I serve it into the net and I double fault. I am to acknowledge God even in my double faults of life. Amen? That'll preach. Don't cuss. <laughs> don't get mad. Right? One more. Well, we'll do a couple more here. Do a couple more. Golf. Of course. I'm a little short, so anyway. <laughs> I don't know what Oh, 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 acknowledge God in all your ways, Chick fil A. (laughs) This is the badge I wore when I worked there, which proves my awesomeness. (laughs) I am so filled with awesomeness. I still have it. And I used to go into Chick fil A and I had a little cow tie and I had this on there and I rolled in there and I was like, it's my pleasure. And Chick-fil-A is coming your way, beloved. You are blessed. But that chicken is not a god. And I am to acknowledge that Chick-fil-A is not the church, (laughs) as tempting as it is to think so. So even Chick-fil-A must bow the knee to my god. I must acknowledge god with all my Chick-fil-A-ness. One more. Can you bear with me one more time? Let's see here. I got so much stuff. I got a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Oh, baby. Right on, right on, right on. <laughs> they took to the streets on Sunday morning. A riot broke out at Cross Point Church. Right? Acknowledge God. Is it possible to acknowledge God with our football and our sports and our baseball? You know how you acknowledge God in sports and your enjoyment of it is you acknowledge that God gives us sports as just a little glimpse of what heaven might be like. You laugh. I was being very serious. I was like in the Holy Ghost right there. You know, we're going to be in heaven. We're going to go crazy for Jesus. We're going to say, you're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the ruler. You defeated death. You have the keys of gates and hell and all of those. You are the overcomer. You know what I mean? On your thigh is written, king of kings and lord of lords. That's it, man. We are to acknowledge God in all of our ways, our job, our, the people in our life. And the question is, do you acknowledge God in all your ways? This world tries to compartmentalize God. God belongs in the religious section of the marketplace of the consumer culture that we live in. God belongs over there. He is a preference, a nice recreational choice for you if that's what you prefer. God belongs over there in the little corner, and God's this little concept, this way too small God in our culture over in the corner, compartmentalized. It's okay to be religious, but don't bring your religion into fill-in-the-blank. Don't bring your God. Don't get so fanatical about God that he's central to everything. And the question that you have to ask yourself every day, is God so central in my life and in all my ways that if you took God out, my life would crumble because he's so central? Is he that central? Is he so central, you're acknowledging him in all your ways, to such an extent that if somebody proved tomorrow, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there was no God, your life would collapse, your marriage would collapse, your relationship with your kids would collapse because you become so dependent on him in all your ways. That is the lifestyle of faith. We believe in God And we believe he is sovereign over over every area of our life. And we listen to him as believers about everything. And it's true. This Bible does not tell me which color car to buy. You know what I mean? It doesn't tell me. It's not a Ouija board. I don't open it up and go, you know, when my girls start dating, which will be in 40 years. (laughs) But I'm not going to be able to look at the guy and open this up and go, Ouija board, tell me, is this the one? The only thing this can do is give me wisdom and to tell me to depend upon God and to pray to Him. And it says that God, through His Spirit, through His leadership, He will guide me on a straight path. And He'll guide me on His straight path for my life. And that straight path might not look like the American dream, but if it's God's path for my life, it will be a path of joy and peace and contentment. If I am on God's path for my life, I might not have the biggest house or the nicest car. I might not have the nicest clothes, but you know what? I've got God's purpose for my life, and I am, I am ruled by that purpose. I am no longer ruled by the appetites and the instincts of my flesh. I am ruled by transcendent purposes. I am ruled by a God who has a kingdom that is coming and this life is temporary and I exist here on his mission for his purposes and as I acknowledge him in all my ways he'll lead me down that straight path he'll take me to where he wants me to go and you might not be impressed with it but I'll be joyful in it because it'll be his path for my life that's a lifestyle of faith you cultivate a lifestyle of faith by acknowledging him acknowledging God in all your ways So you're not leaning on your own understanding. Secondly, you're acknowledging God in all your ways. And then finally, a lifestyle of faith is cultivated by turning from evil. Look at verses 7 and 8. It's so awesome how he connects the thought life in all of these verses. Be not wise. See, there's your mind again. So it's all connected. I'm compartmentalizing just for the purpose of communication. Um, I don't know what that was, but uh, it says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, Literally, in these two verses, you have, you have the gospel. In fact, you have the pathway to how a person becomes a Christian in these verses. How do you become a Christian? Number one, you fear the Lord. You realize that God is awesome. We literally get our word awe. Everybody say awe. Awe. Aw. We get that from the biblical Hebrew word fear. So it just means to be in awe of God. So we find God awesome awesome. Every time you say about a car that drives by, that was awesome, you're just, you're just quoting the Bible. You're, you're in the fear of that car. Uh, uh, if you say about this sermon on your way home, that was awesome. Okay, you might not say that, but you're coming in the fear of the sermon. But when you say about God, wait a minute, God is awesome, you are coming in the fear of of God. Now, don't take away the scary part. It does mean you're a little scared of it because the best things in life are scary good. The best things in life are scary good. So it's not a lack of being scared of God like some preachers go, oh, don't be scared of God. God is loving and good and you don't need to be scared of him. That's not what it means. No, 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 no. It means that too. Be scared of God because he's scary good. He is awesomely good. The first time you held that first baby in your hands, really every baby that's born to you, right? And I went through nine months of labor to get my first baby. And I held her in my hands, and I looked down, and I was trembling, and I realized she was scary awesome. That she was good and wonderful, and I was terrified because no manual came with her, you know what I mean? I asked the nurse, is there a manual with this sucker or what? (laughs) She's like, no, and I got scared, right? And that's what happens. You're holding this scary, awesome thing. Or the first time, guys, you saw your lady, right, across the room, and you were like, I am in awe of her. And you were scared, but in an awesome way. That's what it means to fear God. You've discovered somehow through awakening of the Holy Spirit that God is good and righteous and holy and wonderful. And you realize in that moment he's so good and so awesome that you're not worthy to be in his presence. And that's when you turn from evil. You see that? You fear the Lord. And it says there you turn away from evil. That's what the word repent means. Whenever you heard those street preachers and they go, repent! The end is near. That word repent means to turn around, to do a 180 degree turn, to turn away from sin, to turn away from evil, to turn away from perspectives that, uh, that, 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 that deny God, that are in rebellion against God. You repent. And he says there in verse 8 it will be healing to your flesh. Everybody say, flesh. Now. Yeah the Hebrew word that's being used there for flesh is the same word that was used to describe the navel or the belly button, right? It's okay to laugh. It's funny. Or when a baby was born and they took a flint knife back in those days because they didn't have scissors and they cut that umbilical cord, they cut the flesh, see? And they referred to the umbilical cord as the flesh, when you, when you connect, this is so profound. What he's saying is, is that just like when a, a baby is born and it, it, it is made to be independent of its mother for the first time in nine months, you cut the umbilical cord. And I remember with each one of my daughters, I took those scissors and I cut the umbilical cord. And that source of life from the mother was no longer, the baby was independent. And I looked at the nurse and I said, can I keep the scissors? And she said, no, all four times she said, no. I was like, are you serious? You know how much I'm paying this hospital to have this child? And you won't even give me the scissors? And it's gross. Why do you want them, you know? But she would, she'd take the scissors from me and, uh, but, but, that, but that baby would suddenly become independent of the mother, would suck in its own oxygen into its lungs, would begin to develop and, 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 and to grow and to become more and more independent of her mother as time goes on. But what is totally natural for a daughter to her mother is very unnatural for you and me and our connection to the Father. And what has happened in our life is when we were born in this world, we on our own cut our umbilical cord off from God's separating ourselves willfully from God and being in rebellion, hostile in mind, walking away from our Father's house, walking away from God in all of our ways. And therefore, we lost the source of life and nutrients and, 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 and the food that we needed and the, and the source of life that we needed. And the only way that we can get reconnected to our Father is through a miracle. It would be a greater miracle than trying to reconnect a real physical umbilical cord. You can't reconnect that thing. You could put it in a knot, but it's not going to work. You could try to reconnect it. It would take a miracle to reconnect an umbilical cord. And it takes a miracle for us to get reconnected to our Father. But the Bible says in the Christian gospel is this, that God entered the world. He absorbed our sin And through the miracle of rebirth and Holy Spirit, we are miraculously reconnected to our Father in heaven when we repent of our sin and we believe in Jesus as the Lord and Savior. This is the Christian narrative, this is the Christian gospel. And if you're not a believer, this is how you become a believer you fear the Lord, you turn from evil. And it says, the promise is, it will be healing to your flesh. It will be healing to your spiritual navel. It will be healing to you. You will be reconnected and your bones will be refreshed and life will come back into your spiritual life. That's how you begin a lifestyle of faith. But this gospel and how we become Christians is also the way we walk as Christians. The way we walk by faith every single day is to reenact this gospel narrative. Every day we wake up and we say, I will fear you, God. I will be in awe of you, God. Every day we wake up and we are called to turn from evil every single day. And God says every time you reenact that gospel story and you repent of your sin and you turn from evil and you confess your sin, he will heal our flesh, but he will also bring refreshment to our bones. He will bring revival and awakening. Our faith will, be, will remain intimate and alive and active in God as we are turning from evil every single day. And beloved, let me tell you something about repentance. There is not a day that we live on planet earth where we don't need to repent of something. There is not one day. You, you will never experience one day in your life where you will not be walking in evil or tempted by evil and have to literally, consciously turn from evil. Whether it's an attitude or an action or some chronic uh, habitual habit. There is every day you have to turn from evil. I grew up in a home and there's part of me that thanks God for, for the blessing. Now, sometimes you got to thank God for the hard times in your life. Amen. Because sometimes those hard times God uses in your life in ways you never imagined. But when I grew up, I grew up in a, in a home with an alcoholic parent. And she, she was awesome. My mom, she's awesome. And she was always sweet. She was never like a mean drunk or anything like that. But we used to go to AA meetings. And one of the, one of the principles that we talked about at those AA meetings is the idea that every day you've got to wake up. Every day. And you've got to turn from that drink you got to turn from evil. In this world, they try to make spirituality and Christianity some form of recreation. Christianity is not a form of recreation. They try to make our faith sentimental and silly and stupid and small. It's not silly, stupid, and small. Our faith is not a life of recreation. Our faith is a lifestyle of repentance. Every single day we're turning from evil. And there is joy in turning from evil because the joy is we are refreshed. We are restored. We can sleep at night. Our conscience is clear. David picks up this language of being restored because of turning. Well, actually, first, let me go to Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Peter talks about how to become a Christian. He uses this very language. But he says, repent, therefore, and turn again. That your sins may be blotted out, that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. So the way we're justified is by repenting and believing in Jesus. That's the gospel. But the way we're sanctified, the way we're made holy, the the way we're made to grow in Christ and continually grow is by the same way. Listen to David, who is a believer, right? And he's struggling to walk in a lifestyle of faith. And he realizes he can't walk in a lifestyle of daily faith unless he repents. Look at Psalm 32, verses 3 and 5. He said, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. We know about that in central Illinois, don't we? Amen. And you know what as a believer this is what happens when we don't confess our sins to God we get dried up it's like a drought and we wonder why am i why am i why am i struggling to believe i love god or you're carrying sin and because you're a believer and you have the holy spirit in you he's bringing conviction in your life and you're convicted of your sin you can't carry it and so he says that He's carrying this and it's hurting him physically. It hurts to carry the sin. And he said, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. See this? This bag. All my ways. It includes all the good stuff and it also has in it all the bad stuff. And turning from evil is being able to take the bad stuff out of the bag of my life and say, God, I want to turn from this evil in my life. Refresh me. Restore me. Thank you for your forgiveness. First John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive you from all unrighteousness and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the Christian life. It's a life of healing and refreshment. But it's a life of healing and refreshment as we turn away from evil. (laughs) Think about how your life might change. If you stop leaning on your own understanding as your God, if you acknowledge God in all your ways, and if you're turning from sin in your life and turning from evil and redefining Christian spirituality as a life of repentance, you will be changed. Your life will be changed. You will be grounded and you will have wisdom, and you will have faith, not doubt, belief, and not fear. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the promise of your grace and forgiveness. I Thank you for a worldview rooted in Christ and a way of looking at life that makes absolute sense. I really want to thank you, God, that my own understanding is not the final authority, that my perspectives are limited. I'm so glad about that because sometimes I can't see very much or I can't see very far ahead of my life. Sometimes I I can only see far back in my past, but I can't see anything in my future. I thank you that my perspective is not the final authority because when I look at my family or my girls or my my life I, I, I can't see very far I even get scared sometimes about life and I thank you that you ask me not to lean on that not to put my ladder up against that wall not to make that my crutch but to actually come and to become radically dependent upon you help me God Help me to reflect about the way I'm thinking. Help me to renew my mind. Help me to reconcile my mind to you. Help me to acknowledge you in everything I do. Help me to see every strip of ground I walk on as sacred ground. Help me to view my body as a temple of your Holy Spirit. Help help me to remember that my mind is a temple for the light of your truth. Help Help me to turn from evil and to escape every form of temptation that comes up against me. I am so tempted, I am so I am so lost sometimes. And I ask that you would help me. And as a church, as a congregation, bring healing to this place. May this be a place of testimonies and, and stories where you're healing people and refreshing people and reviving people and helping people to believe again, to believe in something that they didn't before. If you're not a believer, It sounds silly, but it's true. You don't need a priest. You don't need a denomination. You don't need sacred water. You don't don't need water baptism. The only thing you need as an unbeliever to move from doubt to faith, from, from being irreconcilable to God to being reconciled to God, is to come to Christ and to say, Jesus, I'm worse than I thought. But I'm also believing that you died on the cross, showing me that I'm more loved than I thought I was. Come into my life. Be my Savior. I give my mind to you. I give my heart to you. I give my thought life, my practical life, my spiritual life to you. And I pray that you would lead me. And Jesus said, if you come to him, he will not cast you out. In fact, he will welcome you into the family of God. And there will be no separation from the love of God. So I encourage you to do that even right now in your heart and in your mind. And let us know that you did it. I mean, contact me or sign up to be baptized at the next baptism service. Just put on your connection card, baptism, and I'll contact you. But but if you can do that, then you're becoming a believer. And as a believer, what's in your bag right now? What trash are you leaving around in all your ways? Turn from it and ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you from it God thank you for this time in your word this time of reflection we worship you let's stand up and let's sing to God and let's worship him and let's let's remember he is with us to the end of age he is here let's acknowledge him in our church that's part of our ways is going to church and let's acknowledge him in our church Let's find him and remember he's trustworthy and good and loving and kind. And let's sing to him, believing that that is so.